Well, good morning. We have a lot to do today. You're going to be blessed. I know that for sure. I imagine you already just engaging with the Lord in worship have already been blessed. Uh, we got more, right? There's more that God has for you. A couple quick announcements as we get started. Last Sunday evening, uh, I did a, a speaking engagement about anxiety, things that you needed to know about anxiety. I invited a bunch of you and those that you love that are really, really struggling. Thank you so much for coming out to that event. Uh, we ended up having just a little over 800 of you come and 150 watched online on live stream. And it was just an absolutely wonderful time of being able to encourage and strengthen those of us that wrestle with stuff like that, right? Anxiety, maybe even depression, stuff like that. So thank you for your support and your kindness. Um, and then the other thing is that whenever you contribute here at Bridgeway, we end up taking that money and we put it into our budget, different things that help not only keep the lights on and, you know, try to make sure that day-to-day ministry is happening, but every once in a while we get to do some fun activities. And when we do a fun activity that blesses a community, sometimes it's nice to report back to you kind of what happened. And one of the things that your money went to is that... Each year, uh, the Rock of Roseville and Bridgeway and a couple other churches, we partner together along with some businesses to throw the annual police and firefighters awards banquet. That was this last Friday evening. And on that, we got a chance to bring in all the first responders and the dispatchers and the support teams and, and tell all these incredible civil servants and sacrificial servants and people that are loving on you and trying to respond when you call 911 and, and the ones that try to manage and keep thing, keep things safe that I want you to know that your beautiful, wonderful donations went in and I was able to stand up there on that stage and say, on behalf of Bridgeway, you are appreciated and you are loved. Can we just thank them right now? It was such an honor to be there. One kind of fun thing that we had there is that every year we have uh, uh, lots of different things that different companies have brought out. For example, Harley Davidson of Folsom, they, they brought out a bunch of bikes for everyone to take pictures with and car dealerships brought out some, you know, $100,000 car and I mean, just all kinds of stuff. We had uh, a lot of things for them. It was a sit down meal. They have all their uh, suits and uniforms on and we all came in suits and just to try to honor them. Chief Han was there. The fire chief was there. We have a a relatively new fire chief that is absolutely amazing, Um, as well as Chief Han is a fantastic, wonderful leader. So we have some of the best here in Roseville. Well, every year we bring out a guest speaker. And in the past, it's been a bunch of everything from the, the, the mayor of Compton. We brought the mayor of Compton out all the way to Mr. T. Mr. T has come out. Uh, this year it was Eric Estrada. Eric Estrada, what? If you're under 30, you don't know who that is. You don't know who Eric Estrada is. If you're over 30 and I say chips, you know Ponch, yeah? All right. Uh, what a wonderful guy. 
I uh, got a chance to sit at the table with him and talk with him uh, a little while and he shared and he was talking about his life story and how he's tied into law enforcement and and, and he was so warm and, and so honoring to the Lord and so honoring to first responders. Uh, in case you didn't know, his first break, uh, his first real role actually came with Pat Boone which is crazy. So you go back in the day and it was a cross in the switchblade. So it was a Christian movie is where he started out. He played Nicky Cruz, a, a gang leader in New York City. Uh, Eric grew up in Spanish Harlem. He grew up in a very uh, rough neighborhood. He grew up where his father uh, was doing heroin. And his mom said, I don't want that around the kids. They got divorced. She never remarried, but she ended up having a longtime boyfriend who was a New York police officer. He was such a role model and such a shining example of a good guy in Eric's life that Eric wanted to become an officer. So he got all ready for the academy and he was ready to go pursue a life in law enforcement and he met a girl. That she went to drama club. Well, that changed the whole trajectory of his life. And he decided to go to drama club and ended up going down that route. And he never lost that passion for law enforcement. Interestingly enough, for the last uh, eight, nine years, he has been a volunteer uh, police officer for Muncie, Indiana, which is kind of weird. So he went through all the training and he actually goes out and does the work. Um, also, he is a volunteer sheriff in Virginia. And then he also was part of launching different task force for online sexual predators. He actually originally was doing translation from Spanish to English online in order to capture sex predators. So just know that in the back of his mind and in his heart, even though he's been doing acting all these years and he's still doing um, acting a lot in Spanish, he actually has been on the number one show that is shown in Mexico. Uh, he has a bunch of different acting. He just wrapped up three different Christian movies. He has been so involved with the church, with law enforcement. It was an honor to have him out there. So in case you ever see Ponch, you can uh, you can tell him thank you for all that he's done. It was a blast. All right, last quick announcement, and then we'll we'll get to to God's word. And that is, I want to encourage you that. Uh, if you are a family with young kids, and when I mean young kids, I'm talking about threes, fours, fives, that pre-K and also kindergarten, I need you to listen very specifically to what I'm about to say. Um, we have a lot of blessings in this new building and in our church. However, because of one of our blessings being threes, fours, fives, and kindergarten, uh, we have now had over the last number of months on and off had to close classrooms because of size capacity in some of those classrooms. We are hitting 35 to 40 kids. Now, what that means is that it doesn't matter if we have more volunteers, we literally do not have the space. Now, we can try to adjust around and try to shift every classroom and all that, and we're doing the best that we can, but the easiest, most practical solution is that if it works with your family, we would really encourage you to come on Saturday evenings. We have two services on Saturday evenings, and that allows 
a lot more care for the kids because they have a lot more space to move around in. The ratios are much better for leadership to the kids and they get a chance to be able to have more of the toys. Other kids aren't obviously using those particular toys and so they like it a lot more. So I want to encourage all of you and also even for the rest of you, we're going to continue to be doing a lot of outreach into the community. If you feel like you and your family can shift over to four or six p.m., there's more room in some of those services as well. And it's a wonderful vibe on Saturday evening. So make sure to come join us. But specifically, parents of children, threes, fours, fives, and kindergarten. All right. So once again, your children are a blessing. There are so many blessings. Praise God. All right. Having said all that, take out your Bibles and let's take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin a brand new series. We're launching a brand new series through the book of Ezra this morning. Many of you go, man, I haven't read Ezra in uh, ever. Not a lot of you are going to pop that open and do a devotion on it. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through it uh, relatively line by line and kind of just examine what God may have for us because it is more narrative. There will be times that we will be jumping and paraphrasing and we don't necessarily need to read every name of every Jewish man known to creation. So there's going to be times we're going to hop through and highlight a few pieces for you. But I entitled this series... The Purpose Reclamation Project. The Purpose Reclamation Project series. What do I mean? I want to begin by drawing your attention to the fill in the blank on the sheet, which I'll address in a moment. But I want to begin by talking in this year of purpose about Israel's purpose. Israel had a very specific purpose. Now, when I talk to you about purpose in your life, I want to be very clear on something. There's a great misnomer that has gone throughout, I don't know, as long as I've been a believer, that everybody's looking for their one big purpose. And unfortunately, usually under the surface, that means, God, can you reveal the one thing that's going to make me famous? That is a wrong question. You do not have one purpose. If I was to dial back and say what your one purpose is, it is to follow the Lord in obedience. But God's super creative and he's got a lot he likes to do. So you don't have one purpose. You have many purposes in the Lord. Whenever you try to seek out what God has for you, just say, Lord, what is a purpose that you have for me now? Because otherwise we start getting into an unhealthy mindset and we block other things that he wants us to do so we can go to the one that we like. You see what I mean? So what we want is to say, Lord, you have many, many purposes. The very purpose that I'm your child, that I get to partner with you doing so many incredible things. Lord, just show me and direct me in your ways. That's what we need to say. But when we talk about Israel, although he may have many purposes for them, he was very clear that he designed them in a very special way for a very limited reason. Although God creates all people groups and they're all beautiful in their own way and you have the nuance and the creativity of God and the diversity of all these nations in the world, there is one nation that is very individual, Israel. God grabbed a man by the name of Abraham and said, through you all nations on earth will be blessed and he meant in a very specific way. 
Israel was to be the world's primary theocracy. God runs the nation where they were to display to all the earth what God's nature was like. They were to display to the heavens the works of God. They were the salt and light of the world. They were supposed to be God's presence here. Unfortunately, that didn't work out so hot. As a matter of fact, by the time we get to the book of Ezra, they've already been wiped out of their land. And they're now talking about trying to come back and start all over again. How in the world did we get there? I mean, when you have a purpose of God that is that powerful and amazing, when you're being called and designed to do the extraordinary, when you are backed up by miracles, signs, and wonders, how do you lose your way? Well, I don't know, because after the Jews lost their way, God wanted to irritate them. So we put them on pause and raised up non-Jews called the Gentiles. That's the whole reason why we're here at church. He raised up non-Jews and said, I'm going to launch a thing called the church. And the primary purpose of the church initially is to make Jews mad. Now, why? Because he's going, kids, I asked you to do something. Now I'm going to take these other kids and I'm going to start breathing life into them and bring them into the family. They're going to start talking about me and I'm going to put miracles into their churches and we're going to start doing great things. And the whole time the Jews are going, no, 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 no. We have the corner market on God. We get the miracles. This is our God. And now the Gentiles are like, we're God's favorite. We're God's favorite. And we're running around doing stuff that is so irritating (laughs) and that's the reason because i believe that when he put him on pause i believe that he always keeps his eye upon his chosen people israel and i believe that as he raises up the gentiles one day there will be great revival and the family will be brought back together again now i think we can't get into too much of that right now because that's when we start talking about prophecy and things like that but but i just want to encourage you that israel had a purpose and they didn't follow it the church has had a purpose and we're not doing a great job but let's make it even more personal than that you have purposes in your life what about you you're just like Israel. You've been selected and designed out by God. You've been backed up by power and authority, signs and wonders. You have been backed up to say that you have the ability to change the world because an extraordinary God dwells within you. And what are we doing with our purposes? You see, Israel got sidetracked. Israel got distracted. Israel got lost in their sin. Same thing's happening in the church, and the same thing is happening in us. God has all these incredible plans, and we're so looking everywhere else but at Him. So what I want you to ask yourself through this entire series is, God, are you whispering to me? Is there something you're calling me back to? Where I was on the right track... And I I just got off. I don't know what happened, Lord. I mean, as a matter of fact, I guess if I thought back, I could probably track it. But, but Lord, somewhere I got off the rails. Draw me back, Lord. Or maybe, 
For some of you, it's not a drawing back. It's a fresh new work of God. Where you said, you know what? Honestly, I've been trying to walk with the Lord and I feel like he's done a lot of great things. Lord, what are we doing next? This is the purpose reclamation project. Now, as we dive into this, our journey does not begin in Ezra chapter 1 verse 1. It actually begins in 2 Chronicles. Ezra takes up where Chronicles leaves off. Would you turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 36? 2 Chronicles, it's in the Old Testament, so you're going to open the Bible in the middle, go back to the left, all right? So you're going to flip back there. 2 Chronicles is right after... <laughs> okay, great. You guys, that was a setup. There's, that's a pretty easy question, all right? <laughs> How did we get to a place where everything had fallen apart? Well, here's the history. Now, if you are brand new to Bridgeway, I'm a history psycho. Now, I would say I'm a history buff, but it goes a little beyond that. I love history. I love being able to talk about how the real world and the Bible are the same thing. I love talking about the fact that when we go back in our history, God worked. That God was there and he was moving nations around and raising up empires and shutting empires down. He was taking leaders from obscurity and making them world dominant. And that he's in control today, right? So let's go back a little bit. What happened in Israel was as he began to slide, there were things that began to surface that show they were no longer walking in the Lord's purposes. And one of them was they had division in their nation. There was 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of them separated from two of them. The two in the south were Judah and Benjamin, They were known as the south and that had Jerusalem. So that was kind of a big deal. The 10 north were known a little bit more as kind of Israel proper. And they were the ones that kind of did their own thing. Well, sure enough, those two hated each other. Whenever you have division in the people of God, we have somehow drifted out of his purposes. So let me make it practical again. Are all of our churches of Jesus Christ getting along? They are not. Therefore, we have deviated from the purposes of God. Division in the body of Christ means something's wrong. Well, sure enough, they hated each other and you had the north and you had the south. The north actually had bad king after bad king after bad king after bad king. And you all know that as goes leadership, so goes the nation. So... It wasn't going well. The South was looking at the North going, man, we're kind of messed up, but you guys are really messed up. And sure enough, they were. At some point, God said enough is enough. And he brought in the Assyrian Empire, a really tough, at the time, very nasty nation, came sweeping in and just devastated the North. And they took 200,000 out of the land. They just depopulated the entire north. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but to Jews, land means a lot, right? As a matter of fact, they have a name for it. This is how cool they think land is. When they left out of Egypt, they were looking for the promised land. I mean, they even have a name for it. You don't mess with their land. Their land and their dirt is not just dirt. Their land is promise. 
So they got moved out of their land and the only hope was that the south at least was still there because at least we have the God's people experiencing his presence in a certain place of promise. Y'all know what I mean? So they were going, okay, well, you guys are at least there. And the south was going, man, good riddance. I'm glad you guys are gone. But they weren't doing it right either. And God warned them and warned them and warned them, guys, you're not walking with me, kids. What are you doing? Well, sure enough, things began to slide worse. And then the worst thing ever to the Jewish people happened in 586 BC. It began in 605 and it began because of this. Would you look at Second Chronicles 36, 14? Second Chronicles 36, 14, this tells us a story. You see, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans were coming. And that's not good. All the officers of the priests and the people of Israel, likewise, were exceedingly unfaithful to God. Following all the abominations of the nations around them. And they polluted the temple, the house of Yahweh that he had made holy in Jerusalem. So Yahweh, the God of their fathers, he was sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. In other words, he kept calling to them, please, children, walk with me, walk with me, walk with me. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising God's words, scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. That's heavy, yeah? I mean, God was going, listen, I've tried every other option to get you back in your lane and it's not working. So you know what we're going to do? We're calling it. Get out. And he raises up the Babylonian nation, the new big dogs in the neighborhood. You're going to notice that empires change. Sometimes they last for hundreds and hundreds of years. Sometimes it's very rapid. After the Assyrians came the Babylonians and they were led by a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. It says in verse 17, therefore God brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary. And he had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, meaning the temple instruments, great and small and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his princes. All these King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, he brought to Babylon and they burned the house of God. King Solomon's temple, one of the great wonders of the world was burned to the ground. They broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all of its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. The new big dogs on the block. Verse 21, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. All right. 
when the Babylonians came in, and this is the history part, if you don't like history, now is a good napping time. If you, if you do like history, you might want to jot this stuff down. I'm going to fly through it really fast. Um, but in 605, when the Babylonians came in, they did three different deportations of the Jews. The first was the royal family. The first was the cream of the crop, the best of the best, the most wealthy, the most incredibly talented, the most educated of all. And in that group in 605 BC were five famous men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken out eight years later. They went back to grab the strongest. They went back to grab the craftsmen. So they grabbed 7,000 strong men. They grabbed 1,000 craftsmen and they swept them up and took them to Babylon. And along the way, they grabbed a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. This is where all these guys start fitting in, right? A lot of what you read in the Old Testament, if you read in the Old Testament, a weird name book, it's probably during this period. Right? It's a prophet and he has a weird name, so he talks about weird stuff. Anyway, 11 years after that, they said, you know what? We're just going to grab them all. And they grabbed all the Jews, but the very, very poor. And in 586, they cleaned the land and the Jews were gone. The promised land was vacated except for a remnant. God has promised the Jewish people that he would always keep a remnant around. They're kind of like a little place marker. They're kind of like they're God's hope. There's a little teeny spark where he leaves them there and he says, I got more to do. What I think is so beautiful about this remnant is look who it was. It was the poor, the downtrodden, the oppressed and the forgotten. They were God's people. Isn't it ironic That when Jesus shows up and he's talking about the restoration of Israel and he's the Messiah, who were his people? The same group. He goes to the poor and the downtrodden and the oppressed and he grabs them and says, you are who I always build on. I think that's wonderful. So cool. So cool. Well, sure enough, we could go on and on about all the history pieces, but we'll break here for now. And I just want to highlight again. Israel had a purpose. They got distracted and they got lost in selfishness and they got deported. And they thought their whole world was shattered. And it was, but they weren't done. God has a dramatic passion for realignment in your life as well as in world events. Therefore, I need you personally to know the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. And it is this, God wants us in our sweet spot. God wants us in our sweet spot. Why? Because there's things he built and designed you to be in this world and no one else can do what you do. Well, so-and-so does it better than me. God doesn't want them to do it. He wants you to do it. You have purposes. You have power. You have authority. How do we know that? Because you're here. If you did not have value, you would not be here. That's kind of how it works. So therefore, the idea that he put you on this planet means there's stuff you can do that no one else can do like you. So let's get it done, yeah? So turn with me to Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. It's not real far from where you're at. I'm going to just turn a page. 
But what happened next was that a new big dog came into town and rose up. Originally, it was called the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medes and the Persians got together, and the Medes were kind of leading it. And then a young man raised up by the name of Cyrus rebelled against the Medes, took over, and created the Persian Empire. Now, here's what's fascinating. I want to tie this into some things that matter to you. The Persian Empire was huge. As a matter of fact, as we go through history, the whole Esther story, that's all the Persian Empire. As a matter of fact, the Persian Empire is so rich and so beautiful and so powerful. Now, is it always godly is it always no 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 no. it was just this massive but the people were beautiful there was all kinds of greatness that was going on and out of that kingdom god raises up this man to kick everything off and god has him right where he wants him a man by the name of cyrus who's going to let the jews go back home god is going to use this persian leader to bless his people in a way that they never imagined. Why is this so personal to us today? Because do you all know what Persia is today? Iran. I don't know if you know too much about Iran, but they don't like us very much. We don't seem to care for them either. Therefore, the one people they hate more than us is who? Israel. How ironic that you go back over and right now the leadership of Iran, uh, you know, they're... They're challenged, right? Trying to be respectful here, but man, that's a, not a great situation. And over there, we always see this animosity and animosity. I don't know if you realize their beautiful heritage and how incredible of a empire they've been. And yet God uses the ones that hate Israel the most on the world stage today were the very nation that blessed the Jewish people and gave them back their home. Can you imagine that happening today? That'd be crazy, right? God can do anything he wants to do. So we pick it up that 47 years later, after the last deportation, the Jews are going to go home. Ezra chapter one, verse one. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the prophet might be fulfilled. Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom. And he also put it in writing. What prophecy of Jeremiah is he talking about? Well, there's a bunch of different prophecies. There's one in Jeremiah 25. There's one in Jeremiah 29. For over 40 years, Jeremiah was telling the nation, guys, we're going the wrong way. If you do not realign with the purposes of God, they're going to take us out of our land. Now, God is good and he will bring us back, but we don't have to go this way. Please keep a soft heart towards God and turn from your wicked ways. Well, he kept shouting this. As a matter of fact, a hundred years before it happened, before Jeremiah got rolling on that, Isaiah was saying the same thing. Guys, we're going the wrong way. We're going the wrong way. Israel, no, 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 no. We've deviated from the purposes of God. Do not call down the punishment of our God. Come on, you know why you're here. You know why we're blessed to be a blessing to the world. 
right? Now, here's something that I just thought would be fun to do this morning is to look at one of the prophecies that are very specific to this. And the reason why I think it's fun is I'm going to ruin all your refrigerator magnets. Uh, I'm going to disrupt the Christian bookstores. Okay. Why? Because there is a verse that you've been grabbing and you probably have written all over the place and you keep calling it yours. It is not yours. You are ripping off Israel's promise. Okay. And I want to read it to you in context and then I'll explain what I mean here in a moment. that Jeremiah had said over and over and over, guys, we're going the wrong way. We're going to get destroyed. And he also said, but we're going to come back. As a matter of fact, it sounds something like this. Jeremiah 29, 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, how cool is that? From the very first deportation, 605 to 585, 70 years clears and the Jews get to go back to their land exactly in alignment with prophecy called out beforehand. I think that's cool, right? Amazing. Why 70 years? What seven stand for? That's God's number. And the land needed 10 Sabbaths of seven years. Why? Because God goes, you are messing up things so bad, the land needs a break from you. So I'm getting you out. We're going to restore the land. Then you can come back in. All right. But very specifically, Jeremiah was saying, this is a promise for you, Israel. You have been, you will be exiled. The worst thing you can ever imagine because you're so much in your sin. But look at verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I know it's on your plaque at home. That's not your promise. That is Israel's promise. Why? Why is it so important to keep things in context? Now, here's rules of interpretation of scripture. There is one intended author's meaning, but there are many applications. So here's what is beautiful. You can apply the fact that God loves his children so much that he wants a future and a hope and he wants his children to be blessed. There's nothing wrong with applying the truth to your life. There's nothing wrong with saying God loves me and he wants the best for me. All of that is legit. Just be real careful on grabbing somebody else's promise and saying line by line, this is mine. It wasn't for you. Why is that so powerful? Because when did God say it? when his children were in their worst rebellion of all time. That's powerful. In their worst rebellion, he says, but you don't know my heart for you. You want nothing to do with me. You're completely away from me. You hate my guts. You're doing your own thing. I just need you to know I have a future and a hope for you. I will restore you. God is so good at restoration. So keep it in context, be blessed and put the application all over your life because that's how God feels 
about you. It says that God stirred up Cyrus to do this. Is Cyrus a believer in Yahweh? No, he actually isn't. Now, he may have many gods that he pays attention to, and he's going to be super nice to Yahweh, but I don't believe this man is a God-fearing man at all. So how in the world is God using him? Because God can only use Christians, right? No, of course he can't. Why? He's the God of all creation. He can use anyone at any time. Just because some leader doesn't think that God's a big deal doesn't mean God's not a big deal. So here's what happens. God moves on the heart of Cyrus that he wants to let him go back home. Why? Well, actually, Cyrus as a leader had a different business plan than all the other leaders before him. The Assyrians would take their people captive, move them out. The Babylonians would take their captives and move them out. But Cyrus and the Persians put them back in. Why? New business model. Here's the new business model. Hey, I'm going to be the good guy. I'm going to come in and go, you know what? I took you over, but I'm nice. So here's what we're going to do. You go ahead and go back home. You hang out and, oh, do you need your gods back? Oh, great. Well, whatever we took from you, here you go. Why don't you take that? What was his point? Those people don't rebel. They look and they go, oh, you're a good guy. I'm going to follow you. And they all followed suit and he gained in popularity and you go, oh, so it wasn't a miracle. It was practical. Hold up. Who gave him the idea? God, we always think we have these brilliant ideas and we're like, you know, it would be awesome. And God's like, oh, I never get credit. Is it, is it really an accident that this guy happened to come up with a new business plan when it hit 70 years? Are you kidding me? This was prophetic and called out ahead of time. God knows exactly what he's doing. What it means for us today is that you may need extra Rolaids for CNN today. But God is in charge. And he knows what nations need to be around and which nations don't. He can move through any leader he wants. Doesn't mean that they have to be a Christian. We're always quick to grab everybody and say they're a Christian. But I just need you to know God's what's important, not the person. Verse two, we're flying. (laughs) You guys, it will be a 19 hour service today. (laughs) Verse two. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, Yahweh, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. That's called stewardship. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. That's weird which is in Judah, whoever is among you Jews of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem on the mountain, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of Yahweh, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem and let each survivor or Jew in whatever place he has traveled be assisted by the men of his place, meaning all the ones around him here with silver and gold with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Okay, a couple things that this reminds me of. Number one, I love when the world praises God. I love when the world suddenly, for whatever reason, whether it's catastrophe or beautiful miracle, that the world stops what they do and they're amazed by God. There are different periods in history where non-believers go, wow. 
I love that time in history. This is one of those where the king of Persia says the God of the Jews is important enough. Let's do this. The other thing I think is fascinating is he comes up with another business model that says, hey, all of you Jews that are not going to go home, you're going to find out that in history, the first run of people going back home was 50,000. That's not close to all of them. He said, all of you that stay here, I don't want to say I'm forcing you, but I'm forcing you. (laughs) Y'all got to contribute. These kids are all going back and they're going to risk their lives and they're all going to go back and rebuild their temple. They need some help. So you're not going, but you need to kick in some cash. Now you can put in some other free will offerings and all that stuff. But if you're going to stay here, because a lot of Jews are like, you know what? I was born here. I don't want to go back there. That place is all torn down and it's yucky. It's been desolate for 70 years. I don't want to go there. I want to live in one of the most beautiful cities on the planet. The hanging gardens of Babylon and you know, all those different things. I want to live here. And he said, all right, then you pay for over there. The other thing that's interesting is for God's restoration. Did you notice that his plan is God first, then people? If you want to be a part of God's work, invest in him first, then get to yourself. That means that wherever we're going to look at in our lives, how we put God as priority. God, you first with my mind, you first with my heart, you first with my resources, you first with my checkbook, you first with my calendar, you first. If you want to be aligned with God, it has to be thy will, not my will. You understand what I mean? That's how we realign. It says this. Then rose up, verse 5, the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem. And all who were with them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. You know, one of the coolest things about this is it says everyone whose spirit God had moved them. Here's what I look forward to as a pastor. I have shared with you time and time again, I am very unimpressed by the strategy of man. Where a bunch of men and women sit around the table and using their God-given brains, they come up with brilliant strategies on how to increase the church and how to increase the kingdom of God. Although I have respect for it, I'm not impressed by it. Maybe I'm jaded, maybe I've been in leadership too long, whatever it is, I'll tell you what moves me. When God's Holy Spirit stirs the spirit of his people and collectively because of the movement of God, people who would not normally hang out together suddenly coalesce and God begins to call his shots and we begin to organize like an arrow, like a spearhead and we begin to advance the kingdom of God in an unearthly way. That's impressive. That's what I want. I want Bridgeway to be moved by the power of God, not moved because of a man, not moved because of a strategy, not moved because of a good idea, not moved because of charismatic leadership. I want to be moved because God said, we're doing this and everybody gets it. Man, are we listening? 
Are we listening to what God says? Because if he's going to whisper to the hearts of his children, only those that are listening are going to line up, right? Well, that's powerful. Verse seven. So Cyrus, the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem. And he had placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Mithredith, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and a 1,000 other vessels. As a matter of fact, in the end, all the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazzar. Bazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Now be honest with me. If you're reading this on your own, you blew past that last part. You're like, forget that. That's lame. Here's what you would have missed. I'm sorry. They grabbed the what? The vessels. What's the vessels? Well, here's the story. Whenever a nation in the ancient world would conquer another nation, they believed that it was God against God. Our gods against your gods. Whoever wins gets to steal all the statues and images of the other gods, and you can put them in your trophy case. And you go, I beat you down, I beat you down, I beat you down. I took your god out, your god out, and your god out. So they would have a big trophy case. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. But here's the funny thing. They wanted the statue of what their god looked like. What happens when you fight the Jews? They have a commandment that says they can't make an image of Yahweh. So then what are you going to grab? There's no picture of him. Well, I guess you got to grab the stuff that he uses to minister. Those were the vessels. That's why we're doing all this basins of this and this instrument. He grabbed all the holy items used to minister to God. And he said, all right, those will be good enough for the trophy case. And he put them in there. Why is that such a big deal to you? Because I can guarantee you that 70 years earlier, when he walked away with them, no one ever thought they were ever coming back. Did God forget? Nope. God said, those are mine. They're coming back home. And he brought back the impossible. The same. God could have made new ones. He didn't. Why? Because he says, I'm in control. I will set them here and then I will pick them up and I will put them back in my house. Why that's important to you is that when you realign with the purposes of God, sometimes God brings stuff up out of your past that you forgot about. But he didn't. Not bad stuff. Good stuff. For example, let's say you're in your 70s. And the women's ministry says, hey, uh, I don't know why I'm even asking you this. This is kind of bizarre. But hey, can you write a poem of encouragement for the women? A poem? Why would you ask me? Man, I haven't done poetry since I was in my 30s. God never forgot. And that's when he says, hey, hun, you remember how we used to write together? Yeah, but I mean, that was a long time ago. That was a whole different era. So? Did I give you the gift or not? Well, yeah, you did. Were people blessed by it or not? Well, sure they were. Did it minister to your heart? Yeah. How about we try it again? And up it rises. 
Maybe you are in your 50s and you haven't played music since you were 17 and God calls you to the worship team. That's weird. All I'm saying is that there are little things that God has placed in your heart and you thought they were gone. And he said, nope, I'm just waiting for the right timing. Today's the day. And he brings them back out. That is one of the beautiful things of aligning with the purposes of God. He doesn't forget. Can I have the prayer team coming up here as we close? Let's say it this way. What might God be calling you back to? What might God be calling you back to? Where'd you get off track? Where did the distraction hit? What did the enemy steal from you? Because maybe today's the day to get back on track. Or... What fresh word is he breathing into your life? What fresh vision is he starting to move in your spirit that would align with his purposes? These are the things that we're going to pray for. Have we allowed something else to take God's priority? If so, today's the day to say, God, I don't want those distractions anymore. I want you. The prayer team is up here for the sheer reason to bless you, to pray breakthrough in your life. We're going to pray that they are anointed. This whole altar is anointed. If you need prayer for anything, make sure you come on up for the altar is open. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, you are glorious and you are the ruler of the world. You are the one that is in charge of the Middle East. You're the one that's in charge of North America. You're the one that's in charge of Australia. You're the one that's in charge of Asia and Europe. That God, that when our team goes to Uganda, you are already there for thousands of years. That God, that you are the one that raises up nations and tears them down. So we put our lives into your hands, trusting that not only can you run the world, but you can run our lives. We trust you even right now in this moment of faith where we are increased that we would say, Lord, I want to realign with you. Your purposes matter more than mine. So God, change me. Holy Spirit, walk through these hearts and do what only you know how to do. Restore and strengthen, challenge and move and do the things of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.